folks yeah. back here on the JR the Boss Man show. And as promised, I told you of a great guest online for us. I didn't want to jinx it, but he's here. He's the former coach of the Jets and then the Chiefs and now the coach of Arizona State Sun Devils. Heard him on ESPN for so many years. It's the one like Coach Hermel was on the Boss Man show. Coach Edwards, how are things out there in Tempe, man? We're going well right now. We're on our off-season program. It's about it started for about a month. Uh, we actually um, start uh, our, our training as far as uh, spring spring practice in March. So uh, we're 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 gearing up to do that. But uh, everything is going well right now. We had a good recruiting class, and we're excited about that. And. Really excited, I think, for the coaches to finally go on the grass and coach the players. I hear that, Coach. Now, Coach, uh, what does it mean for this opportunity at Arizona State to lead this program, step on this university, the community of Tempe in the Phoenix area, with your great personality and your great values and conviction to help this whole culture and build a brand out there for Arizona State and the Sun Devils? Well, I think it was important for me to realize that this is my passion, and I realized that uh, when I was away from the game, uh, that eventually I was going to come back. This just happened to be a really good fit when you think about the people that are involved in this. It just started with Dr. Crow, the president, and Ray Anderson, the athletic director. I just think we had a, a vision for where we wanted to take the program to continue to build on uh, what has been built here already. And uh, going forward, I think that's the whole key. You know, we, we want to be – uh, one of those teams that's talked about a lot uh, in, in the Pac-12. Uh, we want to have this competitive consistency where we have an opportunity to be talked about as one of those uh, uh, echelon teams when you think about uh, Pac-12 football. Now, Coach, when did you get the itch to come back into? I know coaches, you never want to get away from it. I know you probably go out on, to, on the field and be with your kids and be around the guys. You find, oh, my God, I missed this. So at what point did it itch you, Coach, you want to get back into it? When I was involved with the Under Armour game the last eight years, I coached that Under Armour All-American game down there in uh, Orlando. Uh, I was a head coach there, and uh, Steve Marriott was the other head coach. And dealing with uh, those young senior athletes that were going on away to college, uh, I remember visiting with those guys at the end of the week, and um, they were all telling me, Coach, you need to go back. You need to go back and coach football. And uh, I said, well, when the opportunity presents itself, the one that I, I feel is a good fit, I'll do it. And this happened to come up, and uh, here I am coaching. Now, Coach, being an ESPN as an analyst coach, uh, how much did that help you now coming back for getting a fresh perspective on football, seeing different kind of plays, different kind of thoughts and processes? So how is it going to help you now going forward, being away and be able to kind of take a step back from it, now get back into the technology you took in, now use it on your players? Well, you re-energize yourself when you stay away from the game. Uh, but you don't lose sight of how to coach the game. I mean, obviously, when, you, when you're sitting from where I sat at, um, you're watching pro football as well as college football. So um, you're really looking at the game a little bit different. You have a different perspective when you sit away from it. Uh, you're watching the situations that would come up in, in games that are played in college and, and pro football, and you're analyzing those situations. So I think sometimes you need to take a break and, and get away from it. There's a, there's a man I really respect. He's my coach in Philadelphia, his name was Dick Vermeil. He, he stayed away for, for 13 years uh, and then came back and <laughs> won a Super Bowl. <laughs> so I think sometimes, you know, when you, when you, when you get better perspective sometimes when you, when you stay away. John Gruden was out as long as I was out, nine years. He's back with the Raiders now. So it's kind of a unique situation. Now, how happy are your are your kids and your wife that you're back into it? That their daddy's and daddy and hubby's gonna <laughs> gonna be gonna be on the road and gonna be gone a lot now more than usual. Well, I'm gonna be actually home more now than when I was working for ESPN because we live in California. Oh, okay. So I was making that 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 cross you know that John across country every week. So you can imagine that's that's a lot of airplanes. Now at least I can come home every night. Uh, before it was uh, they'd see me maybe two days out of a week and I'd be gone working. 
Yeah, Coach, I was just out in L.A. for the All-Star game. I just got back today, actually, so <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I enjoy being <laughs> well, out I wasn't going school. to L.A. I was going to Bristol, Connecticut. Yeah. From California. Every day. So you can imagine how far that is. When you're, you're in Atlanta, so you got that St. John. It's five hours yep. easy, right? Six-hour mm-hmm. flight, yeah. Yes, I, I feel your pain, Coach, and there's no <laughs> – but, hey, thank God for Red Bull and Starbucks. <laughs> well, you know what, and you know this, and, and this is why you do what you do. When you have passion for what you do, it's never work. You, you got know, there, you enjoy right. what you do, and I think that's that's the main thing. It's no different from myself when I was with ESPN. I, I had the – you know, I had the – the ability to sit on television and, and, and talk about the game that I love in football. And, and now I'm, I'm back on the grass coaching it, and, and uh, I really missed it, and I'm glad I've gotten this opportunity to come back. Now, Coach, uh, looking at the landscape of college football and looking at who you, who you, who you are as a person, how are you marketing, marketing the program, Coach, to guys in the Southwest, guys out on the West Coast, and guys nationally out here at, toward Atlanta in the South or up Northeast or Bristol? So how you plan on marketing this program and then since you're the head man of it now? Well, I think it's a Pac-12 conference, and it's, it's pretty competitive when you think about uh, some of the rich tradition the Pac-12 has. And look, I, I played in this conference when it was the Pac-8, and then it went to the Pac-10, and obviously it has some – some outstanding coaches, you know, David Shaw is one of them at Stanford, uh, Chris Peterson, obviously at Washington, Chip Kelly's back coaching again in this conference, Kevin Sumlin just came uh, came and got involved in, in, in the conference as well, so there's a bunch of really great coaches, accomplished coaches in this uh, in this conference, I think that it sells itself, I mean, when you look about, you think about all the players that, that play in this conference, that eventually... Uh, you're talking about pro football. There are a lot of players come out of here, out of this conference, and actually play at the next level. Exactly, and they're playing for you, a uh, former pro football coach, former pro football player. They have to be like, hey, when you go, when you making that that call to a parent or a kid, they have to be like, well, this this guy can get me there. He knows where it takes on both ends. So they ought to help you out in recruiting as well. The fact that you play the game, you coach the game, and you've a trusted voice in the game of football. Well, that's important, but I think the, 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 the number one thing that's important for all of us is that 87% of the kids that, that end up coming to school here graduate. Uh, that's a whopping number, and I think that's what you sell to the parents. Are we going to make them complete athletes? They're going to be a student athlete. You know, that's their title, student athlete, not professional, but student athlete. And I think with the graduation we have, great here that we have is, is very enticing to a lot of families. Um, this is a very diverse campus, one of the most diverse campuses in the country. So I, I just think when you, you come here and visit, you realize um, this is a great place uh, to, to be educated at as well as play football. Coach, I always love when you come out to Phoenix for the Hawks or with the Falcons when we play the Cardinals. It was always a great time to be in the Valley. I love it out there. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful place. The weather's always pretty good around here. Yeah. Coach, <laughs> I want to deal with snow. Now, Coach, I, was, I know I'll get off topic real quick, but Coach, this year in Atlanta we had some snow here. We afford to snow coach, and I couldn't get to leave my house. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's you know that yeah that doesn't happen a whole lot in, in Atlanta, but when it does, I, I can imagine what it, uh, the havoc it cause uh, when you think about snow in Atlanta. That's never good. Yes, indeed. Now, coach, uh, when now, what type of young man do you want to bring in your program, and and how are you going about building the culture, building that trust with, you, with your guys? They can that bond with those guys that trust you as their father figure. The next four to five years, they get that degree from Arizona State University. Well, I think a young man that that uh, really has uh, uh, the ability uh, to, to be the best player he can be, and, and wants and wants to be the best player he can be, and and, and be a complete uh, student athlete here. Uh, we want guys with with great character and guys that have passion for the game of football. Obviously, that 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 has to be 
uh, one of the criterias when you come here. And, and I think for the most part, uh, the kids that we were involved with this year recruiting, we, we got a, a number of those type of kids, and that's what we want to build. We want to build a program that can sustain itself uh, for, uh, for the generations to come that follow these guys. So I, I just think that, you know, it's a place that um, – uh, it meets all your needs as far as education-wise, as far as the competition level that you're going to play in, and, and hopefully we'll get we'll get more guys like that that want to come here and play. Yes, indeed. Now, Coach, I want to ask you, because I know you probably have been very busy out there as new, being a new head coach at Arizona State. So if you could, Coach, what's been your typical typical day, Alex, you've been a coach out there? I know you're making is it recruiting calls, booster calls, or conference. How has it been for you? A little bit. You, know, you do a little bit of everything, obviously. Um, for, starts for me with my exercise in the morning. I get here around around 4 o'clock, 4.15, and start my exercise. And then, you know, you get with the coaches, you do your day's work. Uh, you're always uh, in the process of evaluating players, whether it's the players you have on your team now or it's the 19, the 2019, just left a staff meeting where we were looking at the 2019 kids. So you're constantly recruiting. Uh, we are actually practicing football uh, in about a, uh, two weeks from now. Uh, they're in the classroom now the twice a week with the coaches, they're doing their conditioning program along with their running and, and their weightlifting. So it's a full schedule. I hear you. And, Coach, last one I got for you is, Coach, what's going to be your biggest adjustment, Coach, uh, could get back into the college game from being in the NFL? What's going to be your biggest adjustment you think? I think the, the, well, the biggest adjustment is the length of the games, college football. College football games last four hours. Yeah. And National Football League lasts about three because of TV time. So <laughs> the games are a little bit longer. <laughs> But other than that, you still play with 11 players, right? It's tackle football. Yes, sir. So I think I'll be okay. Yeah, I think, it, I think I'll be okay. Well, Coach Edwards, it's a pleasure to have you on this show. Coach, I was telling you off the air, I've been a fan of yours for years, man. I'm so happy for you. I look forward to having you on again and real soon and supporting your team and seeing the great things you do for those Sunday was out there, Coach. Thank you, my friend. Nice visiting All with right, you. All right, folks. Remember, on the Box Man Show, people. Gerald the Boss Man Show. We're going back out to the Big West Conference of UC Irvine Anteaters. Coach, what's turn on the Boss Show? Coach Turner, how are things out there in Irvine, man? Man, it's nice out here. It's about 70 degrees and sunny today, like it always is. Hey, Coach, I was out there yesterday for the All-Star game. I was out there. And I was getting- oh, you were? Hey, man, I've lived in Georgia, and it's nice there, but it might not be any nicer Anywhere in the world than it is out here in Southern California. I, I enjoy my four days out there, Coach. I hate that they're over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good here. Yes, indeed. Now, Coach, you're 9-4 in Big West play right now. Currently on a six a winning streak of six out of the last seven games here. Lost the game in a little bit in there, but it's one six seven right now, Coach. So, talk to us about what's been the key factors for your, your play in conference play and this streak you're on right now for this run you're on when six six seven right now. Yeah, you know, I've got a, uh, a young team. We have no seniors, and we start four sophomores, but we've got an excellent defensive team, and I feel like that gives us a chance at this time of year on just about every night to be successful. My guys are bought in, and uh, we defend at a really high rate. I've got 
really good quickness on the perimeter, and I've got length and shot blocking on the interior. So we uh, give ourselves a chance every night. Yes, indeed. And then you feel like the non-conference slate uh, playing quality opponents has helped you. You got in the Big West play playing because you play a quality team around the Big West. Play was a quality team pretty much. You're playing every night and you're all near each other. So you feel like that non-conference is helping you right now. Well, we knew we were going to have a really hard schedule this year, and we were forced into that because we've had success. And so I thought this schedule would be too much for a young team, and in some ways it was. You know, at one point we were 5-12, and 12, but right now our non-conference strength of schedule is ranked sixth in the country in terms of how difficult it is. And I do think that's made my young team realize all the little things we have to do well to win, and I hope that's paying off now. You know, it's hurt us here around campus because people don't think we're very good because our record's still not very good. But we're actually at the same point right now in our conference as we were last year when we won it. And I know that we're a good team and we're going to keep getting better. Now, Coach, this time of year in practice, are you more so doing film work? Are you still kind of, well, since you're a younger team, are you trying to do more drill to make them better now? Or are you much more trying to teach them via the classroom and film? You know, we do a little bit of both. I've got this is a really academic-oriented university, and so I've got guys who are used to studying and who are smart, adaptable people. Uh, so we did watch video um, today uh, of, of our last game for about 30 minutes, and that's really our routine. I feel like uh, this is a young group that's going to keep learning through all the experiences we have. And so we do that, and then we practice. We stayed on the floor today for about an hour and 40 minutes after that. And I feel like my guys worked really hard for that entire time. And uh, we'll do that each day until the season's over. And then uh, we'll take a little break keep doing that in the offseason, I hope. Now, Coach, think about this with the Jews. You have this young team here, Coach. You have to be happy knowing the future that, hey, in a year or two, a year or more of them get stronger and maturing more, that your team can be very scary to play for any, any opponent. Yeah, yeah, we knew, you know, coming into this year, it was going to be a big adjustment with every guy on our team really – in a new role, and that has been true. And I feel like we're just now getting more comfortable with all that. And if we can keep everybody together, you know, which is not easy to do these days in college basketball with all the transfers and all that, but we've had great continuity here. And if we keep everybody together, this group has a chance to be really good for the next couple of years. And also it helps in recruiting coach. Cause think about this, I talk to people all the time. Like when a team like your team is young and up and coming. You might be a grad transfer away or, you know, somebody want an opportunity away from just, hey, getting you a world beater that really can help you at the mid-major level win, win your league and scare some guys if you get in that big tournament in March. Yeah, you know, we're conscious of that. Uh, but right now we've got no seniors, so I don't expect to have any scholarships open. And, you know, we've, we've created a good family atmosphere. I mean, all the guys in our program – are bought in and, and doing the things I ask them to do. And I think that we're benefiting from that continuity. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, we have to be opportunistic at the mid-major level to try to break through. And we've come close here. Uh, we broke through and made the NCAA tournament in 2015, and we're close in the first round against Louisville. I think we're going to be close to that again soon. We got Russell Turner on the Boston Show. The UEC Irvine Anteaters here with us with, with me. Now, Coach, look at your stats, Coach. 
I see a balance going across the board. You have five guys averaging over eight points per game, three guys in double figures specifically, along with balance rebounding, which five guys average over three a game. So I can only imagine what you're preaching in your practices by sharing the basketball, taking that glass, and defending like crazy and owning the boards there. Yeah, we've really made a defensive emphasis over the last several years, you know, as a way of, of establishing our program and our team's, you know, connectivity, our togetherness, our toughness. And uh, the guys here, I think, enjoy that identity now. You know, every player wants to score. And we don't try to play a slow-down pace, but we do take great pride in the way we perform on every possession on defense. So I think that can be a winning formula. You know, the young guys we got, we've got three sophomores who are uh, pushing double figures right now in terms of their scoring averages. And I think all those guys' scoring averages are going to continue to go up as they continue to get better and stronger and older. You got there right, Coach. And talk about your player development because I think what the major level, you, you, you coach do a great job of player development. And how much you emphasize that in recruiting when you got to bring guys in about how we will develop you as a player, give you opportunity if you put in the work to play professionally further your career in basketball, if you so choose to do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I made my way in this game because I've helped players get better. And uh, that, that's that been my story. You know, when I was a young coach, I was at Wake Forest University when Tim Duncan was only 18 years old. So I got a chance to work with him, you know, daily for three years at Wake. And uh, my last year in the NBA was Steph Curry's rookie year. And so you know, when I recruit guys, I talk about those two players because both both of them had very few scholarship offers coming out of high school, and both of them became, you know, the best player in the world at some stage. You know, they're, they're both two-time NBA MVPs because they just kept getting better. And, uh, you know, all the assistants I have do a great job. They get on the floor. They sweat with the guys. You know, we work really hard to invest on the court in our players' improvement, and we've got now a great track record. All the guys who've been in our program, have worked at it, who stayed with it, have consistently got better. And I think that's uh, something that we're really most proud of, along with our graduation rate and, you know, the success we've had on the court. So we, we emphasize that player development component of our program every single day. And also, this is people development, too, Coach, because I feel like the Big West has a great universities with great academic backgrounds. So you go to a Big West school, you're going to leave with a great degree, great networking, an opportunity to play great basketball in a great state of California and enjoy great weather every day. Yeah, I mean, the University of California is a world-class academic university, and uh, our guys buy into that when they come here. You know, we've got all different types of people here, populations. The diversity here is incredible. You already mentioned the, the weather. I mean, when, when guys graduate from this place, I feel like the world is open to them, not just California, but anywhere in the world is going to respect the degree that my players get. And uh, that makes it fun to coach here, and it makes it fun to recruit guys here. You got that right, Coach. And, and I want to talk to you about this week's games you got. You got a home game against UC Santa Barbara. Uh, Joe Pasnick and those guys are leading at the top of the, the league right now. Then you got a road trip to Hawaii. Now, what will you be emphasizing to your team this week as you get the big home game against you should Joe Patrick and those guys up there in Ala Vista. Then you got to go out to Hawaii. So how do you get your guys to stay focused, not think of Hawaii as a fun trip, but a business trip? 
Yeah, you know, we've, uh, we've made that trip a few years in a row now. We've had some success playing there. Uh, the first game, you know, the, the next one, it's on Thursday against Santa Barbara. That's a big one for us. You know, they're half game ahead of us, but they've got to come play us on our home court. So uh, they beat us already. It was a close game, and they have a very veteran team. You know, my guys want to establish themselves again at the top of the league. So uh, that'll be a great challenge for us. We should have a good crowd here. You know, we got to turn around two days later and play in Hawaii, which is a five-hour flight away and three-hour time, three time difference. That's a great challenge, but our players have done it before, so we know what it's going to take to go over there and perform at a level that allowed us to win. And Hawaii just beat us last week, too, so we may have a little extra motivation for both those games. Got there, right, Coach. Last one for you, I got for you is, I love the Big West Conference. A lot of my listeners may not know about the Big West like I do. So could you explain to listeners out here the quality of coaching and quality of talent out in the Big West Conference that people may, may miss not pencils guys out there? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because I've lived in Georgia, and I grew up on the East Coast, and when I was there, I didn't know much about this league either. Uh, but the world's gotten smaller now. You know, it's easier to keep up with uh, people in places that are further away. And as you've said, there's great coaches here. There's great universities. There's wonderful basketball. Um, we have a chance, we think, you know, to make a, a better name for our university and for our program through having some success and getting to the NCAA tournament and doing some damage. That's what we're trying to do. Got there, Ryko. Coach, I thank you for your time this evening, Coach, and I look forward to seeing you guys playing on TV, man, keeping a good eye on you guys in Hawaii and Santa Barbara, and I hope you guys get to those wins and win that title, man. Hey, well, I really appreciate you having me and you see everybody on your show. Thank you. You're welcome, Coach Turner. All right, folks, we're back here on the JR the Boss Man show. We're joined by a friend of the show from ProFootballWeekly.com. He writes there, catch him on his work there. I follow him on Twitter at Eric at, at Home. is my man out of Chicago. Eric at Home, how you doing, Eric? All good, man. It's, uh, you know, it's a good time of year. It's a little in-between things NFL-wise, but we'll get started here pretty soon. Yeah, you know, I got to go to the NBA All-Star game and fly back to Atlanta, so... Uh, I enjoyed that. The Atlanta Hawks are off to, until Friday, so I'm happy about that, man. You know, some time to myself a little bit here. Absolutely, yeah. Well, we'll have the combine next, uh, starting next week, NFL-wise. We'll get some, some contract information pretty soon on some free agents. So, a lot going on in the NFL eventually. I want to talk to you about the Bears hiring Matt Nagy uh what prompted him to hire Matt Nagy? Was it this more so to go away from what Foxy was, or this is what they really wanted all along? I think it was about a fit, and the fit was with general manager Ryan Pace. Personality-wise, skill set-wise, you know, just having that better communication. I don't think there was a bad relationship between Pace and John Fox, but... I think at some point they were on different wavelengths. And, and, you know, that was something that was important for them for their next hire. 
And, you know, they had received a lot of positive vibes about Matt Nagy before they met with him. You know, just the background work that they were doing on him towards the end of the season when it was pretty obvious that John Fox wasn't going to be back. And then when they met, you know, those two guys hit it off. And, and look, it, that's only part of the equation. He's got to be able to coach, right? But I do think that there was a comfort level there that they felt pretty good about. And they liked the, the coaching chops as well once they'd done all their, all their research on him. So we'll see. I mean, he's, he's a young guy, but he's very talented. Do you feel like he's be able to kind of replicate what they did with Alex Smith in Kansas City with Trubisky and make him better footwork-wise, open it up for him, give him options, spread options, like he did in Kansas City with Tyreek Hill and Hunt, using Cohen and Howard there? Yeah, I just scheming things up better and, and giving him more options. Now, that includes getting more talent. I think that's going to be crucial for, uh, for that offense. I mean, whether it's you know, bringing in complimentary players like an Albert Wilson who was in Kansas City, knows the system, can step right in as a, as a slot guy or something like that, or whether it's drafting some wide receiver talent as well. You know, I, I don't know what they'll do at tight end. I assume that they like their young guys, uh, Shaheen, and, and um, I would say maybe Sims as well, but we didn't know what to, to make of him after last season. Uh, and they'll use those running backs, of course, too, but – some of it is going to be similar, I think, to what the Rams did with Jared Goff. So, yes, they'll incorporate elements of that Kansas City offense. You know, they have Mark Helfrick to, to add elements of the Oregon offense. Uh, it's going to be a mismatch, but, you know, it's going to be fun to see what they come up with because I think Trubisky has talent. He's just got to have better options in the, in the, in the uh, passing game. I remember when I had on Hub earlier in the year, Hub said a, a win for the Bears would be going 6-16-5-11. Six, six, I think he was right. In a spot, he still got fired. <laughs> so it was like, like, well, all right, you know he has phone drop. Eric's back with us. And Eric, well, Sam was before, the, before we had lost connection there, is that uh, no, I had Hub on the show earlier in the year, and he talked about the Bears going 5-11, 6-10-team is a win for them, trying trying to play a rookie quarterback eventually down the road. He, this happened in September when I had on Hub. So do you feel like his Hub did it? There was kind of a win for him. You know, Foxy got fired, but they they kind of played up their expectations pretty much this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to know what to make of this team right now until we see the bigger picture. But, you know, last season they were a competitive 3-5 and five team. You know, they beat the Steelers. They had some – some games they could have won. So the feeling was, boy, if they if they could beat the Green Bay Packers in week, I guess that would have been week 10, uh, you know, maybe there's a little run in them. It didn't happen that way, though. They fell flat after the bye. And, you know, and other than a, a good late-season performance against the Bengals, really didn't have much to hang their hats on. So, you know, it's hard what to, what to make of last season. You know, Trubisky's numbers were not exceptional. But... You saw some flashes of talent there, and you know the defense is going to be good next year. And the, you know, the special teams are bound to be better. So there's certainly some potential to to be a more complete football team. But at the same time, you know, it's a tough division. Vikings, Packers are going to be back. I think Lions will be good, even with a new head coach. I mean, I just. I don't know. I don't know what the ceiling is for them going into 2018. You got that right, and I know somebody's gonna have a happy 2018. Is AJ McCarron. Uh He won arbitration and will never become a free agent now. So, what teams or teams do you think they'll probably look at him and be like, "Hey, make him do something with this guy and get him on a 
a deal like the Bears gave Mike Glennon before they got Trubisky in the draft. Uh, yeah, and hopefully get more out of him than the Bears get out of Glennon. But, yeah, I mean, it, 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 the usual suspects like the Cleveland Browns obviously try to trade for him. I know it's a new regime there, but could they view him as a placeholder for whoever they draft at one or four? Yeah, they could. It's a possibility. Hugh Jackson, the head coach, likes him, wants to work with him again. So that's one team. The Arizona Cardinals, I would think, have to be on that list. And then you start thinking about teams like the, the Jets or the Bills or you know other teams that may not get their first option in pregnancy or maybe a long shot like the Vikings and say, are they a possibility? Yeah, maybe. But yeah, I would say the market's going to be somewhat limited. But the more quarterbacks you have, the more unknowns there are and it's the more sort of fascination with, with how all these pieces are going to fall. Exactly, and I feel like uh, the Kirk Cousin Domino is, is going to be the, the terms of everything. I think it's going to be either the Jets or Denver. What is your feeling on that did that prediction right there and the Kirk Cousins free bus controls the free and quarterback market? Uh, and you said Cousins to Denver, that was what you just said? Yeah, Cousins to Denver or, or to the Jets. One the other. Right. Yeah, I mean, the Jets might be willing to, to shell out every last dollar to him and, and build a franchise around him. What, what's interesting, when, I, when I've kind of called around the league, there's a sense that Kirk Cousins, sure, he'd love to maximize his earning potential, but let's also note, he's made $44 million the last two years. I mean, he's done okay for himself, you know. So I think there's a feeling that Cousins wants to go somewhere where, yes, he'll be well-supported, staff, you know, a defense that can help him out. Unit two, but also somewhere where he feels like he's got more of a, you know, an organization behind him. And, you know, that's, that's a hard thing to read from the outside, and things change so quickly in this league. But I think the feeling is that, yeah, I mean, money's great, but if a team isn't going to be there for you three years down the road, is it is it worth what you thought it was worth? No, I mean, you, he wants to find somewhere where he can be the quarterback for eight years, seven years, six, five, whatever it is. So that's going to be part of the equation. Denver is a possibility for that. That's what they're going to play up to him. They're going to say, we, we've got your back. That's, I think, Denver's pitch, because they may not be able to offer exactly what the Jets do because of some restrictions like the salary cap. Exactly. And also, like you mentioned briefly, about the Vikings in the in the NFC North, uh, t- what's going with Terry Bridgewater's contract? Did it toll, or is they still going trying to figure that out with the NFL? Because if it tolls, he's back. But and I probably that means Keenum and Bradford won't be back. But in your opinion, Eric, who do you think is going to be going to be the quarterback of the Vikings opening day? Because I, I just don't know. It's, it's too tricky right now for me. It, it is absolutely. I mean, and they. We don't know yet, I believe, at least I haven't heard. I could be wrong. I, I apologize if I misquoted, but I don't believe we've heard technically whether Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a free agent. So I believe, there's a, if, if it hasn't, there's a strong chance he will be, that this, this contract will be considered like McCarran Void after this year. So, uh, And I don't think the Vikings are going to try to trap him in any way. They've, 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 they've been very respectful towards Teddy, and they've tried to, you know, make things good for him as well. And there's a lot of there's a lot of love for him in that organization. They're gonna to try to invite him back, I would guess on some sort of 
you know, one or two year deal in the eight to ten million dollar range. So that leads me to believe that, you know, they're going to have to get somebody else in there just to compete. I don't think it's going to be a rookie. I suspect it's going to be a free agent. They'd love it if they could keep Case Keenum, but you know, do you franchise him and pay him a boatload of money for a year and then have a lot of money invested in that quarterback position? I don't know. That's a, that's a tough tough thing to do. So they may be hamstrung a little bit. They want to get deals done with Stephon Diggs. They want to get deals done with, you know, Eric Kendricks and, and Anthony Barr and, and all the other free agents they still have yet to take care of. They're, they're an okay cap situation now, but, you know, it's, it's getting a little, a little dicey to make it all work without, you know, making some hard cuts. Yeah, you got that right, Eric. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo, my fellow OVC man member, uh, I, feel like, yeah. I feel like he played himself to a degree, Eric, and I'm going to tell you why. I feel like he should have played the franchise tag game with the 49ers, forced him to tag him, so that way you get, get tagged and your salary increases the next year, and, it, and then, so that way your contract, the first three years is going to be, hey, the franchise tag those three years. That's my first three years of my deal, guaranteed. No other question to ask. Did we do our contract? Put the put the votable years in the background, make it sound good, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like he sold himself short, him and Don Yee did, man. Yeah, I mean, obviously getting the kind of money he did after seven career starts is, is unprecedented. So that's that's the other side of it, which is, hey, he did pretty well for himself, too. Now, we could look back, you know, three, four, five years from now and say it was a bargain. You know, these guys are routinely going to make $30 million before we know it. So, you know, it's a dangerous, risky game for him to play the way you set. Could it have ended up more, more lucrative down the road? Sure, absolutely. You know, look how it worked out for Cousins. You know, that, that Washington was the one, you know, the Redskins were the ones who misplayed it. You know, they didn't, you know, assuming they had interest in, re- in retaining him, but, yeah, I mean, that's for a guy with as little experience and a guy, I think, who just felt like he was in the right place after this trade happened, I think he's got to be pretty thrilled with how it's all worked out. So the pressure's on him, of course, now. And you know, he's got to go out and perform, and they've got to help him out, get some better talent around him as well. The final question for Eric is this, buddy. Uh, is what's the buzz on Le'Veon Bell? I, I'm getting a sense from what I'm hearing about people I've asked and sources that they're not talking. So... Are they going to tag him? Are they going to let him test see what's out there in free agency and then have him come back to them and see if they are matched or not? So what are you hearing on Le'Veon building those tools right now? My best guess would be that they tag him. And even though Bell has threatened to sit out the season or retire, I don't think he's going to voluntarily give up that kind of money. I mean, they would have until you know July 15th to get a long-term deal done. But there is this pressure maybe to get something done in February before the free agent period opens. So I, I think the Steelers have made it clear they want him to be a, a Steeler for life. Kevin Colbert, the GM, said as much. But money talks, you know, and they've got to be able to, you know, the, the contract demands Bell was floating last year, number one running back plus a top 12 receiver salary. I mean, they, they can't be close. There's no way. And that position just doesn't have the shelf life to, to, to give that kind of security i don't think realistically so it's 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 tough and you know i i i think they'll get something done but but bell wants a lot of money so that you have to take that into consideration as well 
Yes, indeed. Well, folks, you catch Eric at Pro Football Weekly. And Eric, do you have any articles you want to throw out there for my listeners to check you out in the, in the, in the near future here? Yeah, I mean, we'll be getting into the combine next week. We've got a lot of great draft stuff planned. There's some good stories in this year's class, a lot of intriguing quarterbacks. So uh, stay with us at the website, and it's, uh, there's going to be a lot going on there. All right, Eric. Thank you as always, my brother. Be safe out there, man. Thank you. All right, Eric. Eric home here in the Boston Show. People, Pro Football Weekly. Check them out always on Twitter, Pro Football Weekly. All right, folks, we're back in the JR, the boss man show. We're joined by NFL analyst and writer for the MMQB and Sports Illustrated, Andy Benoit on the boss man show. Andy, how is life today, my friend? Uh, it's very good, Jerry. I guess you and I were talking. It's probably not as good as yours today, though, because I guess you flew home from the All-Star game recently. Yes, I did, man. Hey, it's, it, was, it was a great weekend, a lot of networking, a lot of interviews to play on the show this week. So, hey, it was a good trip. Uh, but thank God for Red Bull and Starbucks coffee. I'm making it in, in B12 pills. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I appreciate you having me on. Yes, indeed. Well, Andy, I want to talk to you about what my good friend, Mr. Blank, is doing to Matt Ryan. Uh, he said, and, and floated out on a little better here at AGC, about how he wants Matt to take a team-friendly contract. As he started the narrative, trying to get turn the fans on his side to make Matt take, take less money. Uh, for what he's done for his franchise, Andy, I feel like that's not a good move. Give Matt what he's worth. He's, he's earned it. The, the quarterback market is ballooning. Pay, pay, pay the man. You worry about the cap later. I don't disagree with that. I think it's hard to get a quarterback on a uh, a great deal. There are certain things you just don't get a bargain on in life, and usually, not always, but usually, a quarterback is one of them. So I'm sure Arthur Blank wants Matt Ryan to take a team-friendly deal, and that could just be in the way they structure the money, and it, it's all the same to Ryan in the end. Uh, that gets into some of the nuances of the cap. But the bottom line is this. They've got what every team needs to have and aspires to have, and that's a quarterback, a franchise quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with. And that's going to cost what it costs at the end of the deal. And I'm sure Arthur Blank, with all the success he's had in business and now in the NFL, he understands that. Yes, indeed. And business-wise, it's going good for Arthur Blank with that great stadium that we now have. Hopefully, we'll Super Bowl here next year. Now, speaking of that – why isn't the Falcons more of a quote-unquote fragile destination? You know, Atlanta's a good city to live in. You know, fast-moving city. You know, at least if the Falcons are out, out in Flowery Branch, way out the way. So why why not so many guys want to sign his fragile and make, make it this place? Because Atlanta's a lot of them live in Austin. He lives here when the season's over. Why don't they want to play here? Yeah, that's a good question. I think guys, I think they've been okay getting free agents there. Um, it, you're right, it's a warm weather area. Football's big in the South. A lot of NFL players are from the South. That's why so many agents live in Atlanta. Um, so it's it's a it's a top market for a football city for sure. 
I, and I think Atlanta's a destination teams would want to play for. They've got the QB and they have weapons on offense, and then defensively, they do an excellent job of rotating personnel and using everyone to their fullest strength. And it's not an overly complex scheme, and that's in a positive way I say that. They really allow players to play fast and play to the best of their abilities. And when you rotate a lot, you don't have to ask guys to do things they can't do. So guys are put in a position to succeed, and all of that makes it an attractive destination for free agents. Having said that, Jr., they don't have a ton of needs this offseason either, and it's not a great free agent class. So if they come out of this free agency having found two or three guys, role player types, that's not, that's not going to be a negative thing necessarily. In fact, in some ways that could be a positive uh, because it's not necessarily a free agent group you want to throw a bunch of money at, especially if you don't have any glaring holes on your depth chart. Exactly. Now, speaking of our depth chart here with the Falcons, Andy, where are some areas they could use some more depth at or, or maybe an improvement or an upgrade here or there that you see on our roster so far? Uh, I think defensive line is one, in part because they have four guys who are free agents now, and it's mostly all depth. I think Don Terry Poe is the only guy who who started most of the games or played most of the snaps last season and is a free agent up front. Uh, it's a young defense overall. It's got a lot of speed in a lot of positions. They're very good at corner, which most defenses are not deep at that position. Uh, they're fast at linebacker. They've got some edge rushers now. So it's that's a complete defense. And then offensively, with both of those running backs and building around Julio Jones and wide receiver Matt Ryan, I mean, this truly, Jared, this team is, is rock solid. And they are in the unique position. There's about one or two teams every year that you can truly say this about. And Atlanta, I think, is one of those teams this year. And every team says they do this, but really only one or two are actually able to. They can take the best player on their board this this draft and they can probably do that round after round because aside from defensive line depth which already is, is not bad they've still got guys you can play with aside from that there are no glaring holes to fill so they can look ahead to whose contracts are coming up uh and they can look at replenishing depth and maybe developing guys and taking a chance on some guys because this is a luxury pick draft for the falcons you got that right and i'm concerned about this andy Tevin Coleman's contract. You've already paid Devontae Freeman. Thomas Dimitrov has said he wants to pay Coleman as well. Now, if you're trying to talk about signing Matt Ryan to his deal, he needs a new deal. You got Devontae Freeman on a long-term deal. They're trying to get Tevin Coleman money. The Falcons are going to end up capping themselves out eventually, and they're going to suffer defensively, which is what I'm fearing. Yeah, it's, it's possible. The cap will always be going up for the next couple of years, at least, as, that, as the new money's trickling in. It's a rising cap. That helps. Uh, but the agents, they know that, too, and they're going to be asking for more money for their players. And running back's unique position because a lot of teams, for, for a lot of teams, the running back's pretty interchangeable. If there were one team that could afford to go and sign two guys, I think Atlanta, Atlanta and New Orleans are probably the two teams that have the type of dynamic running backs you'd want to have to pay long-term. That's a good problem to have. New Orleans, they don't have to deal with it for a while because Alvin Kamara is only entering his second year. They've still got Coleman on the rookie deal there in Atlanta. That's not going to last forever. And if you ask me, JR, I think Kevin Coleman is the more valuable of their two running backs by a very narrow margin. I mean, it's, it comes down to style of play and preference. But what you can get with Coleman that you don't get with a lot of running backs in the NFL – 
uh, the ability to reach the perimeter consistently in the ground game. He has a long stride. He covers a lot of ground when he accelerates. And then the ability to move him all over the formation, especially when you go into spread empty backfield formations, which Matt Ryan is very comfortable doing. Mm. Coleman's a movable chess piece and a mismatch maker. You get him on a linebacker, he wins every time. You get him on a cornerback, which happens at times, that means you're getting a wide receiver somewhere else on a linebacker. And all of that stuff gets down to matchup making. And Tevin Coleman is in a unique and really valuable piece for that because he's so good in the passing game. Andy, I, you, I saw Gucci so much, man, because he reminds me of a poor man's Darren Sproles or Le'Veon Bell to a degree, Corey Clement with the Eagles, who they do that same kind of thing. It can go run the whole route tree, cause matchups. Because I saw this year when they, they put Tevin out wide, Julio in the slot with Hooper on the outside of Julio or Sanu, and it, how, the, the nightmares it caused. And it also it caused them to declare whether they're in man or zone, too, by doing that. So he's a great weapon, actually a great chess piece to have on the field. Absolutely, and you, know, you can do that with any guy. I mean, the, the Patriots put James Devlin, their fullback, out wide, and as you said, you alluded to, that gives the manner's own indicator from the defense just by who they put across from him. And with a veteran QB like a Tom Brady, or in this case, Matt Ryan, that's really valuable. Now, the difference, though, is James Devlin out wide, he's not getting the ball. Kevin Coleman out wide, not only is he a threat to get the ball, but he's a threat to get the ball anywhere. He can catch the ball on the move as a route runner, like he's a wide receiver, and he can get open against zone at times. And he's, he is a really refined receiving threat, so he's basically a wide receiver on the field who also happens to be, in my opinion, your best ball carrier. I agree with you there, too. I do like the fans love Devontae Freeman, but as a former football player myself, and as a football guy, as you said, Tevin Coleman is more valuable and a better, better runner and a better skill set than Devontae Freeman is. Devontae is a great runner, a powerful guy, but also, and I think he got he shot confidence wise because he's he had all his fumbles this year at the end of the, end of the year. I think his confidence is shot as well. Was holding on that football. Yeah, and, you know, I can get into a guy's head at times, and that's always an interesting discussion is how do you, what do you do if you're a coach on that? Because fumbles are isolated plays so often, but they're such costly plays. You lose so much field position. You obviously lose the chance to score. You give the, the, the opponent one more possession. They're huge. They're the worst thing that can happen. They're worse than interceptions because usually there's a bigger field position swing with a fumble. So we, what do you do about that? That's a tough one. And, and look, there are Devontae Freeman fans out there that think what we're saying is, is ridiculous and how could you not like Freeman more? He's got better stats. I get that. And your argument for Freeman, the best one you can make, is there, is there might not be a better outside zone runner in football. We're talking stretch handoffs, the Alex Gibbs one plant and, and cut and one hit and go, the stuff that Atlanta does really well in their running game. Freeman's a better pure ball carrier than Coleman. I think Coleman's the better all-around and more valuable football player. Either one of those guys, they're both top ten running backs to me, maybe top seven or eight running backs. Andy, I'm going to say I love when the fans come up to me at the Falcon tailgates and tell me, uh, try to talk to me in fan speak. I'm like, hey, I, 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 speak, I speak in football speak. I played the game. I can show you the tape, what I'm talking about, on the all-22s. Because, see, I'll pull up my iPad, Andy, and show the fans, like, you think I'm wrong? Well, I'm going to show you this on all 22. Watch the film with me. Because I love when fans have these wild premonitions and theories. They come and they call into the show or they come to the tailgates. I'm like, 
that makes no sense. <laughs> this is, I'll just tell you from a football, a football guy perspective, not a fan perspective. You don't see, you don't see it that way. All you see is the numbers. I see the game inside the game. It's a matchup game, and the numbers are a reflection of how the matchups go. But really, when, when watching football, I think the way that it, the, the smartest way to perceive it is what are teams trying to do? What are they trying to accomplish? And the NFL, so often, what you try is what you get because everyone's at such a high level and the execution is so crisp. But people, or rather, let's say teams and coaches, they tell you what they think of their players and what they think of the opponent by what they're trying to do. And you can see that with the way teams line up and the plays they call and the designs. Where the ball goes, I don't want to say it's secondary, but the game of football begins in the pre-snap phase and, and how you're matching up and trying to control the action with your opponent. And the more pieces you have that you can do that with, and Atlanta, you know, we can talk about their defense too, JR, and how versatile they're getting it at some of those secondary positions. Guys like Keanu Neal, uh, Desmond Trufant, of course, guys that can cover an all over the field in different spots. That's where football is. And that stuff cannot get reflected in statistics very often. Even something like Kevin Coleman lining up out wide, and that's influencing the defense, and maybe that creates an opportunity for an Austin Hooper or someone inside or, or a Muhammad Sanu. That's football right there. And the stats that show Muhammad Sanu gets the catch in the yardage, but it really is a team sport because of how much one matchup relates and dictates to another matchup. Andy, I'm so glad you said that here on the show because, Andy, you also know how, how often I fight that better with our fans here in Atlanta about the things I say about for us, the game-wise, the pre-snap phase, the coverages, all that kind of good stuff because, I mean, finally somebody sees it my way too, <laughs> you know? Well, it's it's interesting because so much of the – one of the things I was taught when I went to – I went and learned all this stuff in NFL films. I'm still learning. I've got a big learning process to go. And actually, Dan Quinn, someone I spend time with every year, learn from him and when you talk to someone like Dan Quinn you realize how how much more you've got to learn how much more there is to the game these guys these head coaches are big time experts and some of the best teachers of anything out there in our country uh, but what I was learning what I was taught up front one of the things I learned is so much of this stuff really isn't opinion based and we present everything like opinions and now I have to have a hot take and all that a lot of this just is, is, is football. It's not an opinion what coverage they're playing. It's not an opinion how they're lining up. It's often not an opinion about can this guy cover that guy or not. This stuff, 90% of it is self-evident on film. It's just a matter of, of understanding it and learning it. It's hard to do. It takes a long time to learn this stuff. There's 22 moving pieces in a confined area of space, and it all happens very quickly, and every piece is different from the next. It's not like chess, where chess, where your bishop's the same as my bishop. Everyone's got different pieces. So there's a lot that goes into it. It's a really fun process, and it's one of those, the more you know, the, the more you realize I have a lot more to learn. Now, Andy, have you seen on tape where with the Falcons, they're playing more man in the cover three or single high safety than they have in the past. Because uh, Neal can cover man in the slot. Ricardo Allen can do it as well. Trufant can. Alfred can. Brian Poole can. Even my man from Tennessee, Billy Ray Wilson can cover now. He couldn't cover in Tennessee. What happened? He can't the Falcons. So it's like, you know, we're playing more man now. Coach Queen is going away from that cover three in Seattle now. and playing more, Even doing a blitz every now and again as well. Yeah, they are. They, and that started last year. They played a lot more man coverage. And 
uh, it went very well for them. I, I did think that one issue, like in the Super Bowl, and, and they were very good in the game against New England. It was unfortunate for them the way it went down the stretch and just a perfect storm. But um, they played so much man-to-man coverage, and they had 99 snaps in that game. When you play man-to-man, you exhaust the defense a little quicker because not only are you running with a player for the duration of the play, you've got to go everywhere he goes and you're reacting to him. But if that player lines up somewhere else, he lines up on the other side of the field on the next play, now you're jogging across the field between plays, following him around at all times. So the depth we talked about with the landed defense and their ability to toggle back into cover three zone at times, which I thought they did a very nice job of this season. They played a little bit less man this year down the stretch and a little more cover three versus last year. But overall, your point, J.R., I agree with it completely. It's, it's not an opinion either. It's, this stuff is what it is. They're playing more man coverage than they used to. And you could even argue that their foundation is now man-to-man. You could argue that. Um, I think they do an excellent job of going single high man and cover three, which is single high zone. They're very good in both of them. And, Andy, I saw even some cover four this year and cover two as well, which usually you don't see that from DQ. He, he's actually you don't, yeah. you don't and most teams don't play cover four in the red zone which which each each cornerback and then each safety essentially has one fourth of the field and teams teams like it in the red zone because you can't get deep deep there so you can keep everything in front of you those guys those safeties can break on the ball a little more aggressively Dan Quinn has always been a guy who plays cover three in the red zone which is very unusual and now that you I did see a little more cover four at times. There were some snaps at cover, too. I want to say, I have to go back and look. I believe they were in kind of quasi-prevent situations, two-minute-type situations, some change-ups. And the other thing that Dan Quinn will do, and it's often in Vic Beasley, when he's used as a spy, it comes out of this coverage, but he'll play two-man, man-to-man across the board, two safeties deep. They rush three, and they use Beasley as a spy on the quarterback. Uh, they've done that against Tampa Bay when they played Janus Winston a few times. There are more multiple defense than we realize, but uh, every defense changes it up, too, from snap to snap. I, I don't think there are many defenses that are as attached and sound in their foundation as Atlanta is, and that foundation for Atlanta, is, is, I think we both agree, it's, it's still their cover three and their cover one stuff and how, how good they are toggling between them. He got there right. Now, last one I got for Andy is this. Now, in the offseason here, should the Falcons sign my man Matty Ice, money Matt Bryant to a long-term deal? I know he's 42 years old, me 43. Should they give him a, a long, lucrative deal? Because he can still kick the ball like crazy, especially in them states being stadium dome there. Yeah, I'd absolutely sign Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan won the MVP two years ago. And no, I saw uh, uh, Bryant. Oh, Matt Bryan. I'm sorry. I thought you said you said Matty Ice. I'm thinking old Matt Ryan. Oh, no. It's, oh, you know, it's funny you did some of the guys call him that, too. Money you got, Matt, well, Matty Ice. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's think of this. If you're a coach, just imagine you're a coach, and you've got a field goal kicker you trust up to 55 yards, and it's your job to call plays and decide when to punt, decide what to do, decide how aggressive to be. If you've got a field goal kicker you can trust anywhere on the field, basically, within reason – you're going to be a much more comfortable and creative and aggressive coach. 
So I would, assuming Matt Bryant can still kick it, I have no idea if he can. And I just, I just watch guys and they kick it, they make it, they miss. That's that's the extent of my special teams knowledge. But let's say they think he can still kick. I think having a kicker like that, who you trust, and especially in clutch moments, that makes your whole team better because of the way you can coach the team now. You got that right, I'm Andy. I'm sorry, I got one more for you. I'm sorry about that, Steve Sargisian. Do you trust him in year two to be the coordinator? Because I don't, I still don't trust him. I feel like he he, he didn't find his way pretty good, that good. He he got he got it right in L.A., but you know in Philadelphia he got it wrong again. So especially on the goal line there. So can can Sark with Greg Knapp being there now to help him? I don't know how much DQ gave him Knapp the power to help Sark, or Sark wants his help with along with Matt Ryan coming with a good balance of play calling so to keep the team going and flowing and get Julio the ball ball in the red zone. Yeah, I think Sarkeesian probably this offseason will will look closer at how can I better marry up my running game and passing game. That's something Atlanta did so well under Kyle Shanahan, and they're really equipped to do that. Uh, Anytime you're a good zone-running team, you have a chance to be a good play-action team, and I, I don't think Atlanta ever quite found their rhythm in that regard. Uh, and they didn't ever quite find their rhythm in some of the formationing and flexing out into spread formations. It just there wasn't a great nuance to their plays from snap to snap at times this year. I think that can be corrected. And I, my guess is Sarkeesian, who's been in college, he hasn't spent much time in the NFL. I'm sure he learned a lot. They're very different games, the NFL and college. That gets overlooked. Um, so I would, I, I'm glad to see him get another shot at it. Certainly the offense, I mean, let, we'll, a spade to spade, we can say the offense was better under Shanahan than Sarkeesian. Uh, that doesn't mean we need to hit the reset button yet. I, I'd like to give this another shot. Let's remember, Matt Ryan, he struggled a little bit in his first year under Dirk Cutter, if I recall, and I certainly remember him struggling under Shanahan in his first year. So sometimes it's just a longer filling out process for a QB and coach, and that could be the case here. Yes, Neil Andy, I thank you for your time today on the show, man. You've been great. Good to talk to a football guy like myself, and I love your work on MMQB Sports Illustrated. Glad to have you on the show. Look forward to seeing you down the road and have you on the, on the show again soon this year, man. All right. Thanks, Jr. All right, folks. Andy Benoit on the Bossman Show. Check him out. MMQB Sports Thank you.